This podcast is for mature audiences only. Hi, my name is Claudia McMichael, and I wrote and lived The Other Me. Notable Anecdotes is one of my favorite chapters because it is about real people and their own personal experiences with ESP. The first one is Baby Blowout. Ricky and I were so excited. The pediatrician had given the okay to take baby Courtney out of town after having her six-week checkup. We were making the 100-mile trip to our hometown to see all of the grandparents. Courtney had changed a lot in six weeks, and the grands were chomping at the bits to see their granddaughter. Ricky was coasting along at 75 miles an hour. I know, many of you don't remember when the legal speed limit was 75 miles out on the open highway in most places, but unfortunately for car crash victims, it was. People were actually driving around him because they thought he was going too slow. We had just passed a sign that said we were 36 miles from our destination when I very calmly said, Ricky, you're going to need to slow down right now because we are about to have a blowout. He glanced over at me as if to say, you have got to be kidding. But one look at my horrified expression told him I meant business. He started to decelerate but found it hard to take the speed down that fast. I told him to hurry. Now, no judgment, please. Remember, this event took place 44 years ago. I know you might have a difficult time remembering an infant car seat in the 70s, but visualize this. Courtney's was made to fit a front seat bench, not bucket seats. It had two pieces of metal which hung from the front to the back over the seat and that is the only way it was attached. No straps of any kind to secure it. There was a padded bar that you lifted to place your babies into the seat and then you lowered that bar. There were no security straps to keep them from toppling over. You had to stuff baby blankets or towels all around the baby to keep them erect and from falling to the bottom of the seat. I know there must have been safer ones somewhere, but this was given to me at my baby shower and was touted to be the safest car seat on the market. It was a pretty shade of blue. The only safety precaution was when the driver put his left hand on the steering wheel and jerked his right arm in front of the child. The arm was used as a human barrier to keep the child from crashing through the windshield when the driver had to make a sudden stop. It's a small wonder toddlers of that era had working larynx after they had been clotheslined repeatedly by their parents. Remember, it was considered unsafe for a child to be in the back seat even if being held in the arms of the mother. Oh, for the good old days. As Ricky quickly slowed down from 75 to 35 with cars honking all around us, he said, Well, maybe you're... No. He hadn't even gotten the word wrong out of his mouth when the front of this 1973 Chevy sounded like a bomb had exploded. 
Even going as slow as he was, he had to wrestle the car over to the shoulder of the road. Ricky was always the cool guy in emergencies, taking charge and always knowing what to do. But when I looked at him and saw that he was trembling, I knew he was in bad shape. He looked like he was about to cry. Finally, he leaned over the bench seat and put his arm around Courtney and me and held us for a few seconds and then said, We could have been killed. Claudia, how did you know? You always know. It was a vision, wasn't it? I said, yes, but Ricky, I saw it in time, and we're going to be okay. Let's put on the spare and get on the road before someone knocks us into a ditch. I thought the crisis was over. Naturally, when dealing with someone having OCD, the crisis had only begun. It was followed by questions like, what if he had been driving 75 miles an hour? We could have turned upside down. I rolled over. We could have hit another car and killed everyone. Oh, God, think of the lawsuits. I reminded him we had good insurance, but that didn't do much in taking the sting out of what had just happened. Finally, I said, Ricky, you had better not ruin this trip for me. It's been a long time since I've been home, and I don't want to sit, spend it listening to would have, should have, could have. He laughed, then agreed not to say anything to the grandparents. Over the years, he began to accept that life with me would never be dull. He once told me he heard men at work complain all the time about their boring wives with their dull lives. I asked him what he said about me. He said, Claudia and I don't have that problem. She's very creative. You can take that statement any way you want to, and you would be right. A kiss goodbye. My mom and I were waiting impatiently for the nurse to come into my mother's room to start preparing her for surgery. Her diagnosis had been cancer of the kidney, and it needed to be removed immediately. She was sitting up in her hospital bed giving me a list of things to do after her surgery was over and I left for dinner. James and Melinda would be there shortly. Mom suddenly stopped talking in the middle of a sentence. I watched her staring out in space and thought she was trying to remember something else for me to do for her. She turned her face towards me and said, Did you see him? I thought she might have seen her doctor in the hall, and I turned around to look. I told her that there was no one there, and that I doubted she would see her doctor until after the surgery. She looked at me with a glazed look and said, Not the doctor, Ray. Now, my mother kept her mental faculties until the day she died. Years later, she had just reconciled her checkbook before she passed away. I'm trying to think of a logical reason for her to say she had seen my deceased dad. I knew they hadn't been in to medicate her because I had been I had brought her in at five thirty in the morning and no one had given her anything. 
I was thinking it might be pre-surgery anxiety, but she had seen just fine a minute ago. He was just here. You didn't see him lean down and kiss me on the lips? Claudia, he told me he forgave me and that everything was going to be all right. I can still feel the pressure of his lips on my lips. She said she knew I didn't believe her, but she swore she wasn't hallucinating. I told her, of course I believe her and was glad she was finally at peace with Daddy. But what I wanted to say was, Woman, you just had a freaking vision. You know, like the thing you accused me of lying about all those years ago. But of course, I couldn't upset my mother right before she was wheeled off to surgery. And maybe even the great beyond. In their late 20s, in their late 70s, my mom and dad had pneumonia at the same time. Daddy was in the hospital while mom was at home in bed. They both shared the same doctor, so she was, wasn't surprised when she saw the hospital number show up on her caller ID. It was their doctor calling to tell my mother he had made a decision for her and dad. Ray was ready to leave the hospital, but he wasn't going to send him home. He was taking him by ambulance to a care facility where he was the doctor on staff. He reminded her that she was his patient too, and he knew she was no longer able to take care of Ray because his Parkinson's disease was too far advanced. He gave her instructions not to come to the facility until she was able to sign the necessary paperwork. He didn't want her to get sicker and have to go into the hospital too. Mama would have taken care of Daddy as long as she could have and probably would have died sooner than him. We all agreed this was the right choice, but the guilt consumed my mother. At first, she would stay almost all day with him, but the nurses told the doctor he needed to insist that she not stay as long or come as often. It was not good for either one of them. They established a new normal between them, but my mother never escaped the feeling of failing him until the day he paid her a visit in the hospital room and gave her that kiss goodbye. The Absent Professor I had to commute a hundred miles to my senior college after teaching all day uh, to do my coursework in guidance and counseling. I had just put my purse on my arm and was about to walk out of the door to my car when I had a vision. In my vision, I saw a mall which I had to pass every day I went to school, to college. I thought that was strange because I never had time to stop and shop. I was cutting it close to arrive on time. I got in the car and had another vision immediately. My professor was splayed out on a hospital bed and a surgeon was about to cut him open. Thank goodness I was spared the gruesome scene of looking at my professor's innards. I quickly checked my car phone to see if I had any message telling me not to come to class. Since there wasn't any, I had to think the situation through. Did I have the vision in real time? Or did I project the surgery? It might not even have happened today or even tomorrow. Do I waste my time driving the hundred miles to class only to drive right back? I didn't have the number of the school and certainly no Google to help me. But what if it was happening right now as I saw it and he had a substitute? I would miss out on the lecture and homework assignment. Finally, I convinced myself to go. 
In college, there used to be a rule about how long you waited for the lecturer. I think it was 15 minutes for a master's degree person and 30 minutes for a professor. I sat in class with my fellow students debating whether I should tell them this night was a wash and we might as well leave before because our professor was being snipped open even while we watched the clock on the wall. Someone from the office poked her head in the door and told us our professor was having emergency surgery for a ruptured appendix and we would be notified when he was able to return to class. Well, I drove all of that way for nothing, but since my first vision was of them all, I took that as a sign to stop and shop. Perfect Preacher I was sitting in my usual pew in church getting ready to listen to one of my all-time favorite Baptist preachers giving the sermon which I had a vision when I had a vision. I saw him at the podium telling the congregation he was leaving. I was so sad because I knew what a bad preacher was like and he was just the opposite. I grew up dreading church because it was all fire and brimstone in my Southern Baptist church and yelling to us sinners that we were all on the road to hell. I remember when the pastor wanted more money in the church coffers than just the 10% tithes or the jingling coins in the passing plate, he knew what to do to make it happen. He would signal the deacons to close and lock the two front doors. That's right, we were held captive. The plate would be passed around and a deacon sitting at a table up front would count the money. With a shake of the deacon's head, we would know if the plate was coming down the aisle again. Of course, the entire time, the preacher was bringing the wrath of God down on us from the really tall pulpit. I've seen that plate pass under my nose four, sometimes five times before the signal was given to unlock the doors. Now that is a bad preacher especially when we saw him drive off in his new car the next week. We had a saying in the South that if a Baptist preacher stayed in the same church for his entire career, which that was not uncommon, he would be there from birth till dirt. During the Vietnam War, that adage would apply many times. The preacher could be present at your christening or baptism and later preach at your funeral. It is because of my bad experiences with church that I watched with a heavy heart as my sweet pastor climbed the steps to the pulpit. He gazed over the congregation and began to speak of his time with the church. He was very straightforward and said up front that he was not retiring, but he was leaving the church. Then he resigned. In hindsight, I sat there as I was listening to the audience mumbling and sighing and thought, what would have happened if I had stood up and said, Hey, our preacher is about to quit. Please, let's not let him leave. I knew there would be older members that probably didn't think he put enough fire and brimstone um, in his sermons. When he left, so did I, straight to the Methodist church. I miss my Baptist hymns, and I still have my Baptist beliefs but I don't miss having the bejesus scared out of me on a Sunday morning. Friendly Sightings A friend asked me recently what my new book was about. I told her extrasensory perception, and she immediately said she thought she had ESP. I asked her to describe her experiences. She said she had first, the first one 
when she was about 10 years old. Her dad was a Methodist minister, and so they routinely made visits to members' houses. Her father told her uh, before she went to bed the night before that they would go on a visitation the next day. That night, she dreamed about the house they would be visiting in great detail, much like my mom's visions. Every piece of furniture and figurine stood out in her mind. She even knew the layout of the house, and even though she knew she had never been there before. The next day, after the family invited them in, my friend stood there in total awe. She recognized everything from the pictures on the wall to the objects on the table. She asked her parents if they had ever been there before, but they said no, they had not. I asked her if this event scared her because she was so young, but she told me no, not at all. But to her surprise, this would not be the last experience with ESP. The second event happened before her high school graduation. She had a strong premonition that something would mar her celebration. A favorite aunt and uncle had, been, had accepted an invitation to come to her big event. As days flew by until graduation, she still would think of her dream as a warning about things to come. Precognition can work in mysterious ways. It certainly can act as a warning, but it can also promise you wonderful adventures. In the case of my friend, the dreaded sense of doom proved to be accurate. Right before she headed out to cross that stage and toss that cap, her family received a phone call. Her aunt was very remorseful because her husband was in the hospital and they couldn't attend her commencement activities. Her husband had a heart attack and was in for many days of rehabilitation. She was disappointed that her aunt and uncle would not be coming to her graduation, but excited that she had actually foreseen something that proved to come true. She told me her friend and her had been discussing the same topic of ESP the previous week. He told her how a trip to Norfolk, Virginia proved to be a surreal experience. It was during the Vietnam War and he was stationed in the Army at Fort Bragg in North Carolina. He decided to take a trip to see his brother who was stationed in Virginia. He had never been in Virginia, much less in Norfolk. The brothers decided to walk to town and get a few beers in a local bar. As they were about to turn the corner, he stopped. He told his brother he suddenly felt as though he had been there before. He had just had a vision of what was just around the corner. He had seen a massive multi-faced clock head sitting on a tall pole. The clock had four faces looking in four different directions. His brother knew that neither one of them had ever been in Virginia, so how could this be a possibility? There was just no explanation for this event. He's carried that vision with him all of his time. My friend had an instant where ESP might have saved her life. She was about to leave school where she taught when she had a feeling that she needed to look at the clock on the wall. Her feeling told her to just wait exactly 10 minutes before leaving. She said she listened to her instincts because they were just as strong as the one she had the night before graduation. After the 10 minutes were up, she got in her car and no sooner headed out until she saw a terrible wreck. If she had left campus just a few minutes earlier, she might have been a casualty in that crash. By listening to herself, 
her inner self, she probably saved her own life. Both of these friends have experienced extrasensory perception. When I told them what they might be participating in and gave them a name for it, they felt glad to finally be able to identify their sixth sense as precognition. The Not So Lost Bracelet I was raising my hand to the chalkboard to write an assignment when I noticed my sapphire and diamond bracelet was missing. Ricky had given it to me for Christmas and I loved it. It was one of my all-time favorite gifts. I told my students to forget the assignment because we had something more important to do. They could tell I was upset and they all started talking at once asking me what was wrong. I told them about my bracelet which they remembered from seeing it on my wrist. Without even asking them to, they jumped out of their desk and began the search. Bless their little eight-year-old hearts, they started planning a rescue mission. They wanted me to make a list of every place I'd been and write it on the board. Then, as a group, we went to my car. While I looked inside, they were scouting the parking lot. Next was the gymnasium. Luckily, the gym was empty. They searched every square inch. They even walked me to the office where I picked up my mail. My principal was walking towards the office when he noticed a group of kids waiting in the hall. Later, one of my students told me that he had asked them if they were all in trouble. They thought that was funny because Mrs. McMichael's class never got in trouble. I don't know who felt worse about not finding the ring, the children or me. Oh, I dreaded telling Ricky I had lost my beautiful bracelet. A week went by and still no bracelet. I had even put up a poster at the filling station I had gone to before class. Ricky asked me if I had tried to visualize its location. Oh my goodness, that thought had never crossed my mind. I went to bed that night knowing I would wake up with the answer. I was awakened with a noise in my head that sounded like a ping of metal hitting the floor. I opened my eyes and saw my bracelet lying on the gym floor. I couldn't wait to get to school. I asked the secretary if she could put in the morning announcements that I had lost my bracelet in the gym the previous week. About five minutes after the announcements, a fifth grade girl who I had taught in third grade came to my room and told me who had it. She had spotted it sparkling on the gym floor exactly where I had seen it in my vision. The student showed the bracelet to the teacher's aide who was on duty. He convinced her to give it to him for safekeeping until he could turn it into the lost and found. He put it in his pocket and never turned it into the office. I gave the girl the money, which to her probably seemed like she won the lottery. I kept expecting the aide to come to my room and return my bracelet. Finally, after the kids left for music, I went to the office and explained what the student had told me about who had the bracelet to my uh, from to my principal. The man was summoned to the office, not realizing the girl had already ratted him out. Suddenly he remembered seeing the bracelet and really did mean to take it into the office, but he said he got to thinking he should probably keep it safe because he knew it was too expensive for a child and didn't want it to get into the wrong hands. Ha ha. When I asked where the bracelet was, he said that his wife had found the bracelet in his pocket and realizing the value of it, she was now wearing it so it wouldn't get lost. Less than 30 minutes later, I had the bracelet back. 
Before he returned to class, he held his hand out. I asked him what he needed, and he said since he was the one who found it and kept it safe, he should get the reward. I almost laughed, but instead I reminded him it had been a student who had found it, not him. He was not a happy man. If Ricky had prompted, had not prompted me to use my ESP skills, I would have never seen that bracelet again. Thank you, Ricky, for once again having faith in me. Chapter 18 was a fun chapter to write because I got to share real-life events with you. If you feel you might have experienced some of these characteristics of ESP, please follow up by doing some research. You will truly be amazed at the wonderful gift you have been given. Treat it kindly, and I promise it will be kind to you. Join me next week when some pesky little rascals come to see me. Get ready for some scary fun. This is Claudia wishing you a great week.